morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome to the second episode of UK Creativity Club's podcast. In each episode, we feature guests from various fields of professions to discuss about how creativity is impacting their lives and the world around us. Today's special guest is Miss Dara Henry. She has been teaching and playing piano for almost 40 years in Winchester, Kentucky area and some of the other areas in Ohio before that. We featured Miss Dara Henry to talk about how creativity has led her to teaching and playing piano. Today's guest host is Elijah Odorizzi. Stay tuned for our conversation and make sure to like and subscribe to our channel for more content like this. Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome to our second episode of UK Creativity Club's podcast. Um, today, we have a very special guest and her name is um, Mrs. De- uh, Dara Henry. And how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you very much. I, um, I hope you're doing very well. Um, as, as you know, it's, it's been snowing quite a lot. Uh, I don't know about Winchester area, but um, I hope you're doing well with the weather as well. <laughs> um, I'm ready for spring. <laughs> yes, v- definitely, definitely. Um, so would you mind introducing yourself a little bit? Okay. Well, my name is Dara Henry and I was born and raised in New York. Um, graduated from Eastern Kentucky University uh, with a degree in music education and music performance. Started teaching when I was 18 and owned my own music studio for 20 years and have been teaching piano now for 46 years. So um, met Elijah about 11 years ago and he's been a student of mine for about 11 years. I teach in my home and also at First Music in Lexington. Uh, that's that's very good to know um, uh, because Hearst Music is actually not that far away from where I live. I live on the on the Richmond Road area, and um, once I get out of uh, the apartment complex, it, Hearst Music is five minutes down the road. Um, mm-hmm. But um, so we're gonna dive in uh, with the question with the first question. Um, hope you're ready. <laughs> Uh, I am. He sent me the questions, which really helped. Uh, um, so, so first thing, actually, first questions, um, some something that's a little impromptu. But um, what would you say um, in terms of your background? What was your biggest inspiration um, in your music, and something that influenced you the most in terms of piano playing and your musical style? Well, first of all, um, I've always loved music from a young age, and I was a ballerina for many, many years. But one afternoon, my mother bought a piano and brought it into the house, and she took lessons at the YMCA, and I thought, wow, I think I want to try that. And I finished the first book in a week. And so that was the first inspiration, was for her to provide that for me. But Uh, My first piano teacher, I was in choir, I was in drama, Um, I listened to music all the time, Um, just inspired, just just the love of the instrument. Um, I was like a sponge, I couldn't get enough of it. So um, yes, I was inspired by my parents and my teachers were the ones that really inspired me. Um... Like, um, so when you sit down at the piano, 
how do you get into a, a good mindset? Well, let's see, which question is that? <laughs> okay, for me, um, I have to have an amount of time where I can be alone. I put away the cell phone, I put away all the devices, no distractions, okay? And my mindset is I usually set myself a goal of what I want to reach during that practice session, whether it's tech, technical or expression or analyzing the music. Um, but I, I have to be alone. <laughs> so no children, no parents. So for me, that's how I get my mindset. And then sometimes I play for half an hour, sometimes I play for an hour. It just depends. So that's how I get started. So from my understanding, um, I don't know if this was the case, but I, I know a couple different friends of mine um, who are also doing music education and um, music, uh, music performance majors. Um, they are oftentimes required to accompany and um, accompaniment is, um, um, whether that's fortunately for some people or unfortunately for some people, um, it is a big part of a musician's life as a pianist. And I think that could be, I, I don't know if it's safe, safe to assume for me to say that it has been a big, big part of your life as well as a musical journey. It actually has. Um, I love to accompany people. Um, I think one of the main things as an accompanist, you have to be a great sight reader. And because when you accompany them and just put the music in front of you, you have to play it. So that's one gift I have is to be able to sight read. But I've accompanied so many people, it just comes second nature to me, you know, for me. Now, other colleagues that I've worked with absolutely hate it, but we had to do that in college. That was one of our requirements was to accompany, especially the brass instruments. And my husband's a trumpet player, so I accompanied him for everything. So, but I loved it. Um, so our teacher, Dr. Vora, our professor, um, she's very um, adamant about having a story for your piece. Like whatever piece you are playing, to have some kind of story going through your mind when you're playing it. When, if you get what I'm saying, like before you start practicing, you need to come together with the story. Um, so how do you go about putting a story together for a new song of yours? Well, when you're, you're talking about a story, when I think about that, I think about the beginning and the middle and the end of the story, okay? Uh, for example, like a sonata, which you've played before, has three parts. Okay, so the first part is the exposition, and this is where you learn about the theme, and, and it could be a story about a, a, a ballerina or something, whatever. And the middle section, that story develops, usually through the use of minor or the dominance of the, of the chord structure. And then the end of it is a recap of the story. So there's always a beginning, a middle, and an end to the story. But it just depends. I, I really don't think about a story like a book. Um, I just think about it as three parts of a story. Then, um, of course, the middle being, for me, is the favorite part. <laughs> so I hope that helps. I don't know. <laughs> so the climax is the, is the favorite part of yours. Oh, yes. Definitely. So 
And and um, speaking of climax, I think it's um, uh, I write music, and and, and it's it's very um, it's a very beginner's composition. I think I'm I'm more of an amateur, more uh, more avid composer might be a better word. Um, but when when I compose the piece, it's it's very easy for me to put, and this is not true of all composers. So anybody who's listening to this, um, I don't want you to assume this. But for me, it was it was easy to begin. It's always easy to begin, and I always had an idea for an end as well. But it's always so hard for me to write the build up and 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 building up to that climactic point and how to resolve that climax. And I think that's always the, the biggest struggle that I, that I experience when I'm composing different pieces. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think that's true for performers as well? Like when they are performing a piece of music or whether that's a song or an accompanying other instruments, is it the most, is the building up part the most difficult part of performing music? I, I don't think so. I, I think performance-wise, you have to look at it differently because the section in the middle of the piece may be more melodic and very slow. And sometimes the expression in that section is the climax. It's the expression. Maybe this, the last section is very technical and big chords and, you know, the big finish, you know. And that section of the music may be easier for technically me but the expression in the middle of the song is my climax, is where I feel it. So the emotional intensity is, oh, is yeah. Yes. That's, yes. that's the most difficult part, I think, um, for, for any kinds of perform, performers to portray mm-hmm. because it's, you know, it's the subtle nuance that they have to catch every uh-huh. single time. And you have to be able to let yourself play from the heart and let that go. Some piano players, you know, and students are intimidated, intimidated because they don't want people to see them, you know, move and, and, you know, express themselves that way. They get kind of like, oh, no, you know. But for me, I have no problem. (laughs) I just love it, you know. So it's the emotion. So, um... When did you first realize your passion for teaching music? I think I was uh, in high school. Um, I had been in the choir and done accompanying for that. And my choir teacher was amazing, Mr. Wortley. And um, I loved him. And I thought what he taught was just amazing. So when I got to college, and started in music education, we took a class on uh, piano pedagogy, which is the study of how to teach piano. And I thought, well, I'll take that class. And I fell in love with it. So I started teaching when I was 18 years old. Um, I just get so much out of it. And and you as my student, you know my passion um, for that. And, 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 you know, details for me are important. You know, um, but I, I've always loved to teach um, or direct a choir, or direct a band. I've always loved to do that. So probably about 18 years old. I think uh, 
when I think about teaching, um, uh, personally, I think uh, teachers save lives. Uh, that's that's just my my intake. Um, for for me, because um, personally, I've been um, I've been so grateful and and fortunate with uh, getting so many great teachers and in my life as well. Um, and it doesn't necessarily come as in-person teaching for me. Um, they might be some of the, some of the most, <laughs> um, I've never met some of these people and, you know, I still would consider them as teachers. So when you, when you teach, um, students, what's the, what's the first principle? What's like the number one philosophy? If you had to just pick one, what's the number one philosophy that you would like to ensure um, when you're teaching? Like this is the final goal of me teaching students. I think overall is number one, I want them to be able to have a great variety of music. I want them to be able to experience the classical, the pop, the jazz. I want them to have a little bit of all of that. But the number one thing I want them to learn is to enjoy it and love it. And there's always something good that they do during a lesson, whether they haven't practiced for the week. You always, as a teacher and as a guild judge, you have to find something that's good and encouraging. I, encur I think that's the biggest thing for a teacher to be an encourager. Um, we also have other roles as teachers. We can be counselors. You know, we can, sometimes we have to be moms and, you know, something's happening with them. You have to open up yourself to be able to do that. So um, I think overall is just letting them know that if we're going to have a great time and we're going to learn so much in, in, in that half an hour. So... I wear, I wear lots of hats <laughs> and all teachers do. Um, what would you say are some of your favorite musicians being a classical musician that are like the farthest from what you normally play or write and how have they affected you? Well, I would say basically I was brought up classically trained. And so of course I love all the classical composers. But when I was about 35 or 37, um, I joined a Baptist church and I had never played any, you know, church music. And those composers like Michael W. Smith and, you know, those type of people, I started listening to their music and I was like, this is out of my zone. I don't, <laughs> you know, know anything like that. And I, I loved it. And so I started picking up a hymn book. And one of the greatest tools for a student that takes piano lessons is to sight read a hymn book. And I just learned how to do courting through that. Um, but mostly the Christian, contemporary Christian artists are the ones that I, I really love those now. And I'm glad that I know them. Um, and I love listening to their music, so. For so, me. Uh, sorry. Oh yeah, go, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> sorry about that. Um, what would you say are your first steps when you're practicing a piece or for the first time or starting to write a piece, something like that? 
Well, I'm, I like to make an outline for myself in my head. But when I'm looking at a piece of music, I never touch the keys. I analyze the music by looking at patterns, uh, scale patterns, bass patterns. Um, I look at the form of the piece. You know, is it a binary? Is it a ternary piece? You know, I, I go through the piece and I try to hear the melody in my ear. So um, I outline it, A section, B section, and so forth, before I even touch the keys. And Elijah knows that when we start a new piece, we never start at the beginning, <laughs> which really, he didn't like that. Um, <laughs> we always started at the most difficult part or the part that really looked the hardest, or we always started at the end of the piece because most students will start at the beginning and play the beginning really well, but they never really get to the end. So that's how I set up my my piece when I first look at it. <clears throat> so uh, uh, Dr. Voro, the piano professor at, here at UK, she likes to emphasize that the, the touch of the keyboard and touch of the piano is the most important, one of the most important aspects of playing piano. And um, her basis of theory is, is almost like you know, piano playing has to come naturally. Um, if you start straining, if and if you start to tense up your body, then it becomes unnecessary, and your body doesn't want to do it, and it resists it. Um, and she oftentimes likes to give different examples, um, uh, but some of her favorite examples are um, Alfred Corto, uh, the the French classical pianist uh, in early. 1900s and um and oscar peterson jazz pianist and vladimir horvitz so um i'm, I'm i don't know if these names are I'm, I'm sure the two classical pianists are very familiar yes. and oscar peterson is very very well known for being a being a very good pianist but when you hear the music played by good performers do they how do they change your life? Because when I heard some of the pieces that were played by Vladimir Horvitz, personally, I experienced this uh, unexplainable, almost electricity in my body. And especially uh, for me personally, the, the personal favorite was when he played Rachmaninoff Piano Concerto Number no. 3 uh, yes. in 1978 in New York. At the end, he just finishes the piece and there's instant electricity in my body. Um, are there any performers specifically um, who plays piano in this case, um, since we already asked you about the musicians who inspired you from the farthest from classical music, are there any classical musicians, whether living or dead, um, who still never fails you to um, experience that electricity almost? Well, of course, my favorite composer is Chopin. And um, I always get chills every time I listen to anything that's you know, played by him. Vladimir Horowitz, of course, is amazing with Chopin. Um, the way he plays is so flawless, but the emotion in his face, you hardly see that. And I don't see, it, it's just like, how does he build all that up inside of him? So 
But yes, yeah, Chopin, Van Cliburn. Oh my goodness. Um, just, just amazing. But there are a lot of amazing composers nowadays that are um, people that just write for piano, basically Melody Bober, Dennis Alexander, Randall Hartzell. Oh, their music is just amazing. Um, but you don't hear about them because they write for Alfred series or Faber series or whatever. But I would say overall, for me, it, it is always Chopin. So um, Dr. Voro has a list of do's and don'ts for performing pieces and practicing pieces. Um, do you have your own list? And uh, if so, what are some things that will be on that? Well, I need to find which question that is, and that's number 11, because I wrote quite a bit about that. Yeah. <laughs> okay, number one, if you're going to be performing the next day, the number most important thing you have to have is sleep before you go to your performance. I think that's key, okay? The other thing is you have to be extremely prepared. I mean, there's been times, you know, when some of my students are not all the way prepared uh, for Piano Guild or a Chopin competition, but I think you have to be confident in your piece, that you are so well prepared that you can sleep well the night before, you know. Um, but the day of a performance, I think, because most of the time our students are, are a little nervous before they do their performance, is not to sit down and play the whole song. Pick little places in the piece that you may have struggled with and worked those pieces and that section of the song, or go ahead and play the favorite part of your song but don't play the whole thing over and over again. That's, that's a big no-no. And you know that, Elijah. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's experienced that very much so. So the do's are, yes, get good night's sleep, be very well prepared, don't play the whole song, pick out pieces, and especially for your memory. If you lose your memory in your song, you should be able to pick up somewhere else in the piece automatically, and you should be able to be prepared for that. Um, so how have colleagues through college and your job affected and inspired you? Well, I would say, number one, my first teacher that I had uh, was Mrs. Woodruff, and she was just amazing. Um, you know, sometimes you would get to the point where, you know, I just can't do this, and she was not that way. You did it. You know, she was wonderful that way, just wonderful. Colleagues that I've worked with over the years uh, are mostly other piano teachers, and a lot of them were college professors, and I really looked up to them. And then when I became a college professor for a while, I really took a lot of their ideas to help me get through, you know, with the students at the time. Um, but most of them, I would say, when you're a guild judge, you meet many, many teachers and those colleagues have wonderful ideas and I've used a lot of those ideas. Um, but I think most of all is the people that I've met over the years by judging guild auditions. Mm -hmm. So uh, since you brought up some of the, some of the competitions and, and music competition ideas, um, I was 
by the way, I'm a huge, huge fan of Horowitz and I've searched some of his videos and one of his interviews was about what's your, what are your thoughts on piano competition? And he says, I'm absolutely against it. Um, so I kind of want to hear your um, opinions and, and uh, uh, views on what piano competitions are like, because all, a lot of people uh, who don't play piano, who, who, who are not really musical per se, they oftentimes look at piano competitions and say, well, isn't music subjective? So shouldn't the performance, I mean, should, it should have a certain standard, but should they be um, competed like a sport? Uh, like a sport? Um, so I kind of want to hear your opinions on um, music competition in general. Okay, so I actually ran a studio for 20 years and I, I ran my own competition uh, for piano for the area that we were in. And we did have certain standards and certain material that they had to play and so forth. But as, as and some teachers really like to have all their students compete. Um, I never did that. If they were willing and wanted, and you do have a lot of students that would like to do that kind of thing. Um, I would really encourage them to do that, to compete. But I will tell you one of the things that I think is wonderful about playing the piano and the violin and other instruments that the, the American College of Musicians has uh, an association called the Piano Guild. They also have a violin guild. And this is kind of a prerequisite to a competition, but it's just a one-on-one -on -one with a judge and you get a, re a report card from that judge. And I think that kind of lets the kid know that, oh, you know, maybe I think I would like to compete some, you know, maybe. But I don't think it's something that's for everybody, um, I, but I do encourage it. Um, I'm not against them like Vladimir is, but um, I do think they do help um, some of the kids. And if you notice sometimes on your college applications, they will ask for things like that. If you've competed, if you've done other things like that. So yeah, I'm, I'm okay with the competition. I'm, I'm just fine with that. So um, that actually brings me to the next question and it's about classical music overall. Um, for me, uh, I know a lot of people have said this before and I think recently the trend is sort of changing again, but a lot of times when I was growing up, people would say that, oh, classical music is dying. It's, it's just not a music industry that's looked up for. Um, a lot of people, if they do music, it's mostly going to be popular songs. So pop, pop music industry or even jazz is dying. So many people, so many people are <laughs> commenting on it very negatively. So what's your, what's your opinion on the idea of classical music is dying. Do you think trend is changing uh, towards having more popularity or is the popularity necess uh, necessary for classical music? I will tell you this, in the past 10 years, classical music is back. It is amazing how many students I have that want to learn Mozart and Beethoven. And it's not the, like the high school kids. 
it's the younger ones. I have an 11 year old and I said, well, we're gonna try a little Mozart next week. <gasps> Mozart, I love Mozart. You know, who would have thought that? But yes, classical music is coming back and oh my gosh, there's so much of it and so much of it is so beautiful. And there's so many composers to experience. So yeah, it's, it's actually coming back. And I will tell you one thing also that I found in the past 15 years, that a lot of the students that I now have are more boys than girls because it used to be all girls and now it's mostly all boys. So that's another trend that's happening. And I absolutely love that. I love that. Um, so I'm not sure if you are into um, any kind of painter or sculptor or any kind of other form of art. I know that you said that you do dance. Um, but how have specific artists' works in other mediums affected your music and your um, style? Well, I would really say that I'm not into any sculptors. <laughs> um, Painters-wise, that not much either. Um, I, I do connect with the picture of um, Starry Starry Night by Van Gogh. Um, I think that painting is beautiful and it's musical with the swirls. I don't know if you know that painting um, with the swirls and stuff, it, it, you know, you can, there's music in there. So no, I'm not real big with the painters or the sculptors um, per se. Um, how about stuff like movies and stuff like that? Has any of that kind of affected you? Movies, TV shows? Um, probably some of the movies I would say. Um, and believe it or not, it's the Disney movies, <coughs> excuse me, because um, I love the music <laughs> from those movies. Um, and I think that's one, some of the things, but no. Um, I think for, for me as, as a pianist, um, being classically trained, I, I am always on the Chopin, Bach, Beethoven, Scriabin, Diab, you know, Diabelli side. But I do like jazz. I like Joplin and Gershman. And you've had all of those, Elijah. So, you know. yeah. <laughs> so um, I think the time is approaching to the end. And we would okay. like to ask you um, the final question. And again, this is not something that you have to answer all the way through because this, this was not on the list. <laughs> but um, Oh, no! <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> So uh, one of my other favorite composer is Stephen Sondheim, and he's done um, a Desert Island uh, disc thing. And I can't remember the exact name for it, but what the concept of it is, um, he has eight weeks of just trip, and he gets to pick, he gets to pick eight different music. And that doesn't have to be um a song it doesn't have to be eight songs it it can be eight um different albums it can be eight um suites piano suites it can be eight different works by different composers so if you were to um if somebody <laughs> asked you so you were invited to this desert uh desert island disc uh trip what eight pieces or what eight music would you pick well, I, I would bring my Chopin with me, of course. That would be number one, okay? Um, I would bring Claire de la Lune by Debussy. I would bring the Moonlight Sonata by Beethoven. 
Um, I would bring probably with me some of the compositions that my son has written. Um, and he's written many, and I, I love that. But I do, believe it or not, I think I would like to bring some of the video game music from Final Fantasy. I, I just love that. I think it's just beautiful. So um, then other than that, probably some Bach and Bergemuller, but mostly the classical composers would be on my desert island with me. So they, uh, these were all of the questions that we wanted to ask you uh, tonight. And um, I just want to say on behalf of all the music students who, uh, who is already being taught with you and who are going to be taught in the future, um, I just want to say thank you because uh, oh. music education is very, very important. And I think overall art education is just extremely important. Um, because I was, I was one of those people who were influenced by them, by the teachers, by the great teachers and, and how they have taught me. And, and, and it's so weird because they always teach me some, some principles and the, the philosophies behind the arts and they're just life. They're just, uh, they're, all of them are, all of them are just life advices just hidden behind the, uh, the curtain of arts. And I mm -hmm. think even if people don't get involved in the music performance or any kinds of art performances, they always come to appreciate it. And they always, I think it's just creating that good habit of appreciating artists and teachers. So I just want to th say thank you on behalf of that. Um, and hopefully uh, you enjoyed this podcast again. Uh, we will see. We'll see you next week. Um, have a good night and uh, have a good week. Until then, see you next week. Bye bye. Bye. Thank you.